Greetings, Elam fam. Uh, it is uh, a little bit surreal just to stand here and uh, even to sit over there because that's like holy ground. Um, and uh, just certainly give honor to Dr. Fred and his wife, uh, Brother Stacy, Sister Lisa, Grouts, Vela Coops, and all of you who I haven't had the honor and privilege of meeting yet. Uh, thank you for your service here and, uh, and your sacrifice and labor of love. And uh, I certainly give honor to you, students, uh, because God has saw fit to bring you here uh, during this time and season of your life, knowing all that's happening in the world, that you are being prepared to be a blessing somewhere. And so um, I don't know if I'm going to really call this preaching, but I'm going to share from my heart uh, in the way that the Lord has called me to share today, and I'll try to be faithful to that. But just one quick story, one quick story. I got to give it, there's many Elam stories. If there's any rules in the book about no throwing water balloons, I may or may not be in part responsible for that. I don't know if that rule is on the books. I don't know. Brother Harry, you're hearing the confession now. I apologize. But actually, it is a Brother Harry Velocoop story. Um, so my wife and I, we were starting to spend time together around campus and, um, on this particular day, it was room checks. We had to do room checks. I don't know if you all still do those today. But uh, Brother Harry was notorious for putting on the glove and wiping up atop the dresser just to see if there was any dust there. And so he's in my room, and you know Brother Harry. He's just looking straight, and, he's, and he says, I've noticed you've been spending time with a certain young lady on campus. All right, they passed. I think it's a good thing. And he walks out. <laughs> I was so nervous. And I was like, oh, you're okay. This is the Lord then. I'm moving in the right direction. And, and I do believe it is the Lord. I'm so grateful for my wife being here. All right, so do me a favor as I begin to share. Why don't you look at the person next to you and tell them you are an original. Turn to the opposite side. Yeah, you are an original. Now, you might be saying, look, Brother G, we know that already. We know that. We know that we are original. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says this, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had planned before all time. We are his workmanship. We are his work of art. You see, what I love about following Jesus is that God doesn't mass produce anything, but he handcrafts, he hand tools his disciples. See, God is doing something unique in your life, and he has brought you in this season to this place for this specific work. Now, I want to share a little bit about the life of Moses, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'll begin reading at chapter 3. We're going to look a little bit at the story of Moses. Because God is using and crafting you in a unique way, I think it's important that we pay attention to our stories. That we pay attention to our stories. When we were born, who we were born to, the things that we experienced growing up, whether good or bad, 
And there are some areas that God would have to bring healing to. He'll have to bring understanding. But all of that doesn't go to waste. But God uses all of that for his unique purpose in your life. Looking at Exodus, the third chapter, beginning at verse 1, it says, Moses was keeping the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. But when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said to him, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Very quickly, I want to read chapter 33, verse 1. No, not verse 1, verse 11, I believe. Yes. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Interesting to note here that the scriptures record that God used to speak to Moses face to face as with a friend. But in Moses' first encounter with the angel of the Lord in the burning bush, it says that he is standing before the bush and he's having this dialogue with God and it says he hid his face. He hid his face. Now, I can't prove this, but I think that, you know, there are a number of reasons. Many theologians say that it was his sinfulness as why he hid his face. And I do believe that that is a part of it. But I think that there is something else going on as well, that this is shame. Moses is encountering God for the first time in this bush, and the glory of it causes him to hide himself in shame. And I believe that many of us are bound by shame. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of shame where, as a kid, you know, you take a cookie out of the cookie jar and, you know, moms will come down and be like, yo, who took the cookie? I did. Not not that kind of shame. But I'm talking about this toxicity, this toxic kind of shame that makes you hide who you are, that makes you hide the very person that God has created you to be. You know, let's look at the life of Moses here a little bit. 
We know the story. You're familiar. You're Bible students. You're familiar with the story of Pharaoh gave a decree to kill the male babies, but Moses survives due to the providence of God. We know that Moses is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, and she seeks out a Hebrew woman to nurse him and to to kind of nurture him up, and lo and behold, it works out that it's it's Moses' mother who gets to do this. But Moses is living in this tension of, yo, one day I'm kicking it and I'm hanging out in the palace with the Egyptians. Yeah, it's good here. We got everything. Then some days, because he knows his history, he sees the plight of his people suffering under the leadership of the people that he enjoys privilege from. And he's hanging out with the Hebrews, but I wonder if some of the Hebrews was, look, was looking at Moses like, yeah, you Hebrew, but you ain't really Hebrew. You know what I'm saying? Because you enjoying the, the luxury of the palace. And when Moses is over in the palace, they're like, yo, dude, we know who you are. You, you're not really one of us. You should have died. You are Hebrew. We know who you are. We find you disgusting. Imagine what it's like for Moses to live in this tension of in-between and the sense of shame that it must have created in him to have to navigate this tension and not sure how to make sense of it. You know, in my own story, I uh, was born and grew up in Chicago, and then right around the sixth grade, Uh, My parents uh, bought a house in the suburbs, and we just happened to be the only black family in the suburb. And at the time, and still a bit it is today, Chicago was a very segregated city. And so there would be times where me and my brothers are out in the driveway playing ball, hooping it up, and a car would ride by, and they would yell, the N-word. And we'd stop and, you know, we'd act like we was going to chase after the car. I don't know what we were really going to do. But, you know, we were like. And we faced a lot of tension. And I remember my brother and I just being furious. He's two years younger than I am. And I, we were just upset. we like, we want to go back to the block. We want to go back to Chicago. Ain't no candy stores around here. I mean, there's nothing to do. We, all of our friends are back. And I remember my mother, a praying woman and who was sensitive to the Spirit of God, she said this to my brother and I. She says, listen, your dad and I grew up in the South, and we were only raised around black people. Your brothers, you and your brothers will not be like your father and I. God has something greater for you all to do, and this is a necessary part of your purpose. Now, that sounds dope right now. Like, oh, I can tell you right now that that's the word of the Lord. But back then, it was, oh, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? You're spiritualizing this? We want to go back. They don't want us here, and we don't want to be here. And I can imagine a little bit of what Moses might have felt, 
this tension of trying to reconcile who I am. What is my identity? Am I an Egyptian? Am I a, a Hebrew? What am I? And he's living in the tension of these two worlds. But God has ordained this for Moses' life. He is crafting in Moses someone who will be able to lead according to his purposes. We see that Moses, as he gets older, he finds himself in a situation where he's kind of taking a stroll and he sees some Egyptian Egyptian taskmasters giving one of his Hebrew brethren a, a beatdown. And Moses, he has this sense for justice and for liberation, uh, but his heart is all tensed up and not in the right place, not sure he understands this call. And so he lashes out and kills the Egyptian. A little bit later, he sees some of his Hebrew brothers in a scuffle between each other, and he's like, yo, y'all should chill. <laughs> we don't need this. Y'all shouldn't be fighting each other. And they're like, yo, we know what you did. We saw what you did. Who are you trying to be, Mr. Justice? We saw what you did. And Moses flees, and he flees now to the desert where he goes through a time of turmoil and difficulty, but I believe that God is using this desert experience of Moses to build into him. Now, many of you may be at Elam in this season of your life trying to figure out, like, some of you may be like, why, Lord, did you send me here? Others know that, oh, God called me to be here, and I'm supposed to be here. Some of you might have been made to come here. But no matter how you got here, I believe that God is in it. And he's writing and crafting your story, but God also invites you to write. And how will you write your part of the story? Will it be one that cooperates with the grace of God in your life, or will it be one that resists God's move in your life? I remember being a student here. God had called me to go here. I'd never heard of Elam Bible Institute. Um, our church was in the city in Chicago. A missionary from Brazil, Brazil came uh, to speak at our church, and he was preaching about John 3, 3, chapter 3, talking with Nicodemus about following the wind of the Spirit. And, you know, I, I was sitting up in the kind of the balcony of the church, and it felt like me and that missionary were face to face. And at the end of his message, he offered anybody an opportunity to go to Brazil on a short-term mission trip. And um, I knew from that moment, I'm gone. I was sitting next to my guy, and I looked at him. I was like, yo, we got to go. Did you hear that? And he looked at me like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not leaving Chicago. And at that time, it was, I, I still don't understand you know, it was the grace of God for us to even have a missionary come to our church because we actually saw our church, our area that we lived in as the mission field. And so that still blows my mind. But afterwards, I got to speak with the missionary, and he gave me this brochure, and it was a ministry called Teen World Outreach, TWO. And he says, hey, in order to come to Brazil, you have to train with this organization. You'll go there, you'll spend a week, 
and leadership training, and then the second week your team will arrive, and then you'll come after you go through training with your team. And I'm just like, hey, let's go. All I know is God is moving on my heart to go. I'm out. Let's go. So the time comes, and I get picked up um, at the airport and get brought out here to Lima, a place I didn't know existed or really ever heard of. And they dropped me off on the side of Watson. And I remember standing there on the rocks, and I kid you not, I felt the sensation as if wind was wrapping around me. And I knew immediately there, oh, I'm supposed to go to school here. And um, I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, Lord, you know, I can't really trust me. So if you put this on my parents' heart to be open to this, I'll know that that's you moving. But anyway, I take my bags inside, and I start to walk around in the campus a bit. And, you know, my mom, she used to watch a lot of Christian TV, and this had been probably months prior to me arriving here, is that she was watching uh, a show, and there was this minister from Canada who was on, and he was sharing his testimony. And it was if every word he said was soaked in wisdom. And he was an older gentleman, and I was like, yo, I want to be like that dude. No, I want to meet that dude. And so as I walked out of Watson that day and I was walking up, I noticed there were a bunch of cars here, and I could see signs. It was actually camp meeting happening here. And as I walked up and walked in, as I was getting closer, I could hear this voice. And I was like, yo, I know that voice from somewhere. I know it. It's familiar to me. And when I stood there, the gentleman that I had saw on TV, Dr. Winston Nooms, he was standing here, and he was preaching. And I started jumping up and down. I was like, yo, is that, is that Dr. Nunes? And people were looking at me out there like, yeah, he's like here all the time. Like, and I'm like, oh, for real? Is, is that like this, for real? But anyway, it worked out where I came here. And there were many moments where I encountered the presence of God. And I wish in some moments that I could go back to lean in a little deeper. But there were all sorts of things that was happening in my life that God was working out and bringing resolution to. Another quick story. I remember um, I had spent time with my class at NISM, and I kept getting these prophetic words that were irritating me. Um, Brother Stacy, people kept coming up to me and said, <laughs> oh, son, you're a peacemaker. They would say things like, oh, You're a reconciler. And I remember this one time, I just threw up my hands. I was like, doggone it, I'm the only black, I'm one of the only black people here. Of course I'm a reconciler. Tell me something I don't know. And I was angry about it. I was frustrated because part of me was feeling the tension of, Lord, why do you keep putting me in spaces like this? Why? And I remember that my wife, before she was my wife, um, her and her cousin were, I think, in the admin building. We were having a conversation. I I was like, look, I'm tired of people telling me this. If one more person prophesied to me about reconciliation, it's going to be a problem. And so we decided to walk over to the cafe at the time. 
uh, to, to just hang out and get a snack or something. I can't remember. But there was another sister in there. She came in, and this lady was happy all the time. She came in with a newspaper, and she was like, oh, brother, brother, look, look. Did you see what this particular university said about race and interracial marriages? This is not right. Somebody's got to stand against this. God. <laughs> and I'm just like, I know that this lady is not saying that. I know she's not coming. I don't need to hear that right now. But even in that moment, God was working on my heart. You see, we're not only shaped by our stories, but we're shaped by how we respond to what happens to us. And so I, I don't know any of you individually, but I'm sure there are places of blessing in your story, but I'm also sure that there are places of pain. And we want to tend to run from those and move away from those. But I tell you, if you would bring them before God, God could bring re resolution to the tense points of your life. Why? Because he's weaving together a story for his glory. That God wants to use you in a unique capacity. And it's something that if you yield to him and you yield to his work now, you will see the fruit later on in your life. My family and I, we found ourselves in certain situations where we would end up being the minority. And at this point, it's like, okay, God, I know what we, <laughs> this, is, this is a part of how you wired us to be. And as painful as it is sometimes, we say yes to the call. And you know, this is what I love about Elam, because here we're given the posture of no matter how tense we're feeling, no matter what we feel, we know whatever it is, we got to lay it down. We got to lay it down and we got to say, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I yield to your purposes in my life. I want what you want. And it doesn't mean that everything works out all rose-colored, everything is perfect, or the birds are singing and chirping. You may hear birds chirping, but it could be in some dark circumstances. You know, God will give you peace in the midst of tough times because you have responded to his call on your life. God is crafting your story. Moses, when he's in the presence of God, he hides. But eventually, Moses encounters the presence of God enough where the hands come down. And he's no longer hiding, ashamed of who we are, but of who he is. But he realizes that I can be completely vulnerable and exposed before a God who has called me and a God who loves me. God has called you, and he does love you. God is not trying to embarrass you. He's not trying to shame you, but he's trying to bring you into relationship with him so that you can experience his presence, his power, his transforming power, and his love. Moses met with God so often that there were times where the glory 
would shine brightly on his face. Show, so brightly that he had to cover it up. Because Moses had went from hiding in shame to uncovering and now being transformed so that what is on God is on him. You see, God is transforming us because as the longer we behold him, there's a principle that says you become what you behold. Listen to me. Take advantage of the place that you're in. Not every day at Elam is easy, but you have an opportunity to be set aside away from your familiar environment to encounter the glory of God so that you can be transformed. But don't stand in his presence like this. Take your hands down. Even if you have to do it a little bit of time, because God knows your story, and he's the only one that could take the two worlds like he did for Moses and mesh them into one. Could Moses have been a great leader had that not been his experience? He could not have been. But God used that for his glory. I'm going to ask my wife to come and um, have her pray for you. That you would yield to the purposes of God in your life. I'll ask that microphone. Thank you. Amen. Um, G and I didn't talk about what he was going to speak before we got here today. And as I was getting ready this morning, um, stories from my childhood just flooded my mind um, when I was in high school and we didn't grow up um, similar at all. We had very different paths. He grew up in a, a Christian home with both parents and um, I did not. I had a parent who was a, a, a drug addict and um, had all kinds of um, just traumatic experiences. And as I was getting ready, these stories were flooding my mind. And literally, all I kept thinking was, God, why all of a sudden am I dealing with shame? And um, I almost was going to tell him, I don't think I can go. But immediately, I felt like the, which just reminded of how God usually will speak to me in some instances, this is not about me. Um, this is this is the word today. There's somebody, some people that are dealing with shame, and um, I could have chosen to not come. I could have chosen to allow that to flood over me. Um, but in that moment, he bore our shame, and um, there's so many levels to it. But whatever that is, whatever your story is, whatever whatever. It could be so many little things that will try to keep us bound, that will try to keep us quiet, that will try to keep us in our corners, um, that will try to keep us. Um, and God wants us to be released from that. Wow. So I'm going to pray about that. And um, the other thing I want to pray about is, you know, G mentioned it briefly, like, the, the, the turmoil of Moses having to live between those two worlds and, 
and the pain of um, the pain of that. That's so real. Like Jesus' scars from the cross, they're real. And when he came back and he revealed himself to the disciples, those scars could have been gone, but they weren't. And I think that is very intentional. When you leave Elam, you may have come here with scars. You may get scars here. Or when you leave here, you may encounter situations that will scar you. And as G said, how you respond to that is, is it's so integral of how your story is written, how you live that out. And there are moments of, I can stand here and say, I did not respond well to that. It was very hard for me when I left. Because when I left here, I had dreams and visions of what I thought our life was going to look like. And it was not that. And for a long season, I focused more on the scars than on Christ. And they're the word that has sustained me through all of this to even be here today, even thinking about dealing with the shame today, is God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough. So if you came here with scars, if you leave here scarless, and you encounter situations that scar you, no matter what, the thing that will hold you, the thing that anchors you, the thing that will keep you grounded in him is that I promise you, I promise you, his grace is enough. enough. It is enough. It is enough. And lastly, I think about the prayer for the building. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go into prayer now. So, Father, we just come before you. We just thank you, Father, for this safe space. We thank you, Lord, for this protection that you have over this place where you allow your people to come here to be healed, to be formed for service, healed in heart, God. And Father, I pray for that today specifically, healed in heart. Lord, I pray for healing of hearts today, Lord God. We pray, Lord, as shame tries to cling on the doors, Lord, we pray that you would remove them, Father. We pray that you would break the chains of shame, Father. We pray, Lord God, that you would infuse your people today, Lord, in this room with courage, Father, to turn away from shame, to let go of shame, Father, to pull their hands down, Lord, and put them from a position of covering to a posture of receiving, God. We pray, Lord, that those things, they would just be able to lay them at your feet, God. And as they lay them down, they would pick up your grace, Father. Father, I also pray, Lord, for this building, Lord. Yes, God, God I, I don't know. For me, it feels like it's a, a, a prophetic picture, Lord God. That building is probably the highest peak of, of this property, Lord God. You can see the top of it. As you enter into this town, Lord God, and that is the building right now that needs most attention, Father. Lord, I don't know if that's a representation of your church. I don't know if it's just a representation of your people, Lord. But, Father, I do believe the eyes are on your church. The eyes are on your people, Lord God. We are in a very peculiar time, Lord God, and it's not popular to be a follower of you, Lord. But I pray, Lord, as there are leaks Father, there's things that, Lord, the church, we haven't gotten right, Lord. There are things that we have failed, God, and there are leaks in our building. There are leaks in our church. 
But Father God, you see them, Lord, and you are a repairer of the breach, Lord God. You repair broken places, Father, and I believe that you're taking us into a time, Lord, that you're healing us so that we can go out and be healing hands and being healed. Even us will be the layers to the laborers to fix the breaches in the walls of the church, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you will begin to send laborers, Lord, to fix that building. You will begin to send laborers to encounter us, to help us, to have our hearts healed. And Father, in turn, we will then go out and help bring healing to the broken places, Father, within the church, but also within your land, God. Father, we thank you. We open our hands to receive your grace, your grace, your grace. We open our hands to receive we your receive grace. It, Lord. We receive it. Your grace. Lord, help us to stop judging each other. Help us to look and face you to see ourselves. Your grace, your grace, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for sending laborers. From the top, from the top of the roof, Lord, fixing, Lord, let it be a prophetic picture, Lord, sending laborers as they fix the top of that building, Lord. Just like in Nehemiah, Lord, as they repaired the wall, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. It's a season of repair. So we usher in your presence, God. I pray for your grace. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to meet us right where we are every single time. In Jesus' name, amen.